Good morning. How we doing, church? Doing good? We doing good? Yeah? Okay. All right. Just checking. All right. Good. Well, hey, uh, we are diving back into our series on Psalms today. I'm excited to do that. Before we do that, though, share with somebody next to you which one of these describes the time that you grew up, okay? So the, you know, we've we got, got a multi-generational crowd, so this sort of is like the time frame that you grew up in, all right? Is it number one, records, okay? We're going to reveal some things about ourselves today. Records, <laughs> eight tracks, okay? Cassettes. CDs, or digital music and streaming, okay? So go ahead and share with somebody next to you uh, which, which era represents you. I think I hear some of you sharing something that came before records, which I'd have to, I'd have to research. <laughs> All right, so how many were the record folks at, okay, and records are actually making a comeback. Did you know this? Like, if it wasn't broke, why we fix it, right? We just get the records back out. We're going back around. Um, funny thing is, I had in my notes for the next one, okay, let me see, where's the eight-track people at? Where's the eight-tracks? Eight and there's some overlap here. That's fine. I wrote down in my notes eight-tracks, and I had to go and ask Doug. I was like, Doug, is that eight? It's eight tracks, bro, okay? So that just shows. Uh, but I was kind of, I experienced the next one a little bit. What about cassettes? Where are the cassettes at? Okay, some cassette people. I, had, I remember I had a cassette. It was just the Jock Jams cassette. I had a little cassette player. Put that Jock Jams in. We'd like just run around the yard, like just playing basketball or whatever it was, getting fired up to some Jock Jams. Um, where's the CD folks? Okay, where's my CD? That's, that's kind of my generation here a little bit. CDs. And then what about, where's the, where's the youngsters at? Where's the little babies? The, okay, love you guys. Digital music and streaming, all right? That's all you know. You're like, I don't even know what they're talking about with the rest of this stuff, but we know digital music. That's it. And uh, so this is just kind of a fun, so mine was definitely CDs, um, and I thought I was super cool at the time because uh, in my computer, you could burn CDs, you know? Anybody remember doing this? You'd burn a CD, and uh, it, was, it seemed pretty cool, and it was, I'm pretty sure, illegal, uh, because you'd download a bunch of music from, like, Napster and, like, pick out all your favorite stuff, and, uh, you know, some of it would give your computers viruses, but it didn't matter, you know, just, like, whatever, and uh, since they've, like, shut that whole practice down, because it was, you know, stealing music, but, you know, you would, you would make these big music libraries, and then you would, like, burn CDs for your friends, like, hey, check some of this music out, or here's some of my, you know, like, here's some of what I'm into right now, you know, and so, I was definitely in the CD uh, realm, and we used to have these like little Walkmans too, you know, I'm talking about the Sony Walkmans, and like, I, you just, it just skipped like crazy, like it didn't matter, you could be walking and it's skipping, like does this thing even, you know, like, so this was, so, you know, the struggle is real, um, kind of, that was where we were at with that, but um, into college was still kind of like the CD time frame, and so um, one of the things that Jess and I kind of did when we were like just friends was we would like exchange music, like we'd make each other mixtapes, you know, and so we'd put together, and they weren't even tapes because they were CDs, but that's, that was cooler to say mixtape, so you get the mixtape, you get them, you know, some music on there, and uh, it was interesting because we talked about it later, but both of us kind of like we were dropping like subliminal songs in there, you know, as we sort of, our interest for each other sort of grew, and uh, so, you know, we, it's sort of like sending each other signals back and forth, you know, in the music, and uh, once we started dating, we continued to do this, and this was just kind of a way for us to, you know, express our love for each other, and I, and I, 
I know, I know, it's kind of lame. If I could actually write a song or sing or play guitar, I would have done that, but I made a mixtape instead, okay? It's beyond my skill set. But um, this was one of the ways that we communicated with each other, that we sort of communicated our love for each other early on. And as we've been diving back into this Love Psalm series, um, we've been really talking about this idea of God's love, that this love between God and humanity. And really, as we look at this book as a whole, as we think about the scripture, the way in which God communicates with us and communicates his love story with us is through his word, through the written word that really you know, was translated via the, the spoken word of the time. And we see that God actually speaks into our life via this book and demonstrates and declares his love for us. Now, if you look even more closely at the Psalms and kind of single in on the Psalms, if you ever spend time reading the Psalms or or rehearsing the Psalms or meditating on the Psalms, I've been doing this the last several months, and it's really what I love about the Psalms is just how rich the Psalms really are and how expressive they are and how they really, in in just a very unique way, demonstrate this love relationship between God and his people. And one of the reasons I think I love the the psalm so much is it demonstrates this messy yet supremely meaningful relational exchange between God and humanity. And nowhere else is there more open and honest kind of language than in the book of Psalms, less subtle and subliminal and more just like, this is how I feel. Let me just declare to God how I feel. Uh, One of the early church fathers one time said that most scriptures speak to us, the Psalms speak for us. I like that thought. It it really is true because if you you look in the Psalms, there's often just things that you're like, like I, I, I could write that right now. I could actually write that out right now. That's exactly how I feel. You see, the Psalms, they lament at times. They praise at times. They're real. They're raw. They are expressions of the heart of humanity to the heart of God. And they're ultimately a picture of God's intimate love for us that beckons our love in return. And so that's really, if I could just frame up for you what we're doing throughout this series, is sort of bringing to the surface this relationship that we have, this, this relationship with God that we have that's really defined by love. And so we're talking about these love psalms. Last week we talked about how God is a God of love in the way that he rescues us, that love rescues. And today, we're looking at how God knows us, and that the God of love knows us, that love knows us. So Psalm 139 is where we're going to be at today. If you have a Bible and you want to open that up, and we're going to unpack some of David's declarations of love to God, and really what they were centered around, and, and what they really communicate for each one of us about the relationship that we have with God. And so as we read the text, and by the way, I love just um, getting here, hear somebody speak the word of God out loud, and I hope you've been enjoying that the last couple of weeks, Mitch reading. There's something powerful about hearing the word of God spoken in that way and really meditating on it and really allowing it just to wash over you. And so um, we're, we're just doing that, you know, week by week here throughout the series. This is an opportunity to really meditate on and let those words settle in for us. And so here's what David says. The first thing that we can look at here, this first section, is really about this idea. And and David says, you have searched me and known me. You've searched me and known me. David says, God's knowledge is incomprehensible. There is no one who knows you better and still loves you. 
And this is a scary thing, right, to be known, to, to invite somebody to say, hey, search me and know me. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I wonder, how many people would you say, you don't have to answer this, I just want you to think about it. How many people would you say actually fully know you? Like really, truly know you? Just think about that. Not just the good stuff. Not just the stories that you're a hero in, you know? Not just the stuff that we post on Instagram that we want others to see, the best of us, right? Not, not that person. People that fully know you. They know the dark corners. They know those rough seasons of your life. They know the tangled places of your heart. They know the ugly sides of you. They know the weak points. My guess is that not many people fully know you. That list is probably small, and, 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 and I think that it should be. It can be scary, right, to be think about just being fully known. Like, would people even still like me if they really knew who I was? They knew the kind of things that go on in my heart or in my mind or in my life, the things that nobody else can see. And here we're seeing this idea that David says, listen, God knows me more than anybody else knows me. One relationship that knows greater um, depth than really any other earthly relationship is the one that we have uh, with our spouse. And I remember I was doing a, a wedding not too long. It was actually Andrew uh, and Claire's wedding not too long ago. And I just remember, you know, standing up there with them and watching them just look longingly into each other's eyes, you know, as they're this big day, this big moment, you know, and they're about to start their new adventure together. And I just kind of like had this flashback to like when Jess and I were in that moment. And you remember those days, right? When you knew each other, but you didn't know, you know, half of what you would know about each other, right, or discover about each other. You really didn't know each other all that well compared to how you would know each other. And I was just thinking, so much stuff has happened for us since those days. So we've been through broken bones and hospital visits, and we've weathered storms. We've seen each other at low moments, embarrassing moments, stories that we would never tell on each other, right? We've seen the good and bad sides of each other, all of it. We've worked through conflict. I mean, you name it. And I can truly say the more that I know about Jess, the more that I love about Jess, but the truth is, I wonder how she puts up with me sometimes. Like, I'm like, I, I still don't, that doesn't all make sense, like that she still is learning a lot about me and she's still, you know, in this with me. And she said something to me not too long ago that really struck with me, uh, struck me and, and I needed to hear. And she said, you know, I, I love you even when you're not at your best. Now, it was an acknowledgement that I wasn't at my best, but it's an important message, right, to say, listen, I love you even when you're not at your best. In fact, true love loves us at our worst. It says, I'm in this even at your worst. I mean, that's genuine love. That's true love. And when David says that God has laid his hand upon him, okay, first of all, he says, you hem me in behind and before me. What he's saying there is like, you essentially, you surround me. You've got me surrounded, right? You've got me covered. You are a protective kind of a God. And then he says, and you lay your hand upon me. When David says that, God has laid his hand upon him. He's referring to an Old Testament practice of bestowing a blessing on someone. 
You see, a wise father would place his hand on his children and he would speak words into their lives about who they are and will be, what their place in the family meant, and what their future will be. This was one of the most important acts that happened in the Hebrew families. And in the same way, your heavenly father, who knows you, still bestows blessing upon you. He still puts his hand upon you and and lets his favor rest on you. The one that knows you inside and out, who knows you better than yourself, looks at all of who you are and all of that you've done, and he still puts his blessing upon you. He demonstrates his love to you. He shows you your place in the family and what your future is all about. You see, in God's family, there are no nobodies. There are no nobodies in God's family. And I think about David as he writes these words. I mean, when you think about David's story, it's really compelling. I mean, you remember David's background? You know, because David, when, when, when God sent Samuel to go and kind of find the king and, you know, and, and, and put his blessing on the one that would become the king, he goes out and he goes to this family of Jesse and, and the Lord's like, hey, just listen, it's not going to be the guy you think. Okay, so just trust me on this, you know, like it's not going to be the one that looks like he's a mighty king. All right. So just you go and you 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 just wait for my signal, you know. And so Jesse brings in all the boys He's like, all right, here's my crew. You know, he brings out kind of, you know, and David's out like doing something else. And he's like, you know, Sam is like, well, it's none of these guys like, you know, where who's the guy, you know. And uh, so he's like, well, you know, there's another guy, but it can't be him. You know, he brings him in and he's like this puny little shepherd boy, you know? And God's like, that's the guy. That's the one. You see, when everybody else saw a puny shepherd, you know what God saw? A mighty king. And I wonder as he looks at you what he sees. And I think that we often underestimate ourselves. We often underestimate who we are when we have the power and favor and blessing of God on us. You see, God knows us And he sees beyond what we are into all that he made us to be. I mean, if you really want to know what something was made for, you go to the creator of it, right? If we really want to know what we were made for and all that we were made to be, we look to God. We often can't even find it in ourselves, but we look to God. And he looks at your life and he says, you are so much more than you even realize. You have so much potential that is yet to be unlocked. And God wants you to hear that today. And David says, and really understands this fact that you have searched me and you know me. We are fully known by God and yet still used by God. David also says in verse 7, he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You see, while God's knowledge is incomprehensible, God's presence is inescapable. And you read this and you're kind of like, how do I interpret this? Is David trying to get away from God or is he actually, you know, trying to, um, you know, say like, oh, wow, like I can't get away from you anywhere. And I, you know, what's interesting is often when we understand we're fully exposed before God with, with just, you know, it's not a comfortable feeling. And when, especially when we know the kinds of things that we've done and knows the, the kinds of things that exist in our life, what's our tendency? I want to run the other way, Right. Same thing that like Peter did on the boat when he's like before the Lord, he's like, you know, like, 
you know, have mercy on me, God. Like, he falls down at Jesus' feet, you know. He's a sinful man. Like, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. And we see this reaction time and time again uh, when God's presence is near. There's just this, like, overwhelming feeling where you just want to melt into your seat. Like, I, I can't be here. I can't be in the presence of God. And so, like Adam and Eve, we run, right? We run from, from God's presence. So David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Even if I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. God's presence is inescapable. I wonder how many of you use these tracking apps, like you're, you're used to like Life360, like for people in your family, or you've got the, you know, the technology today is really incredible, that like we can literally like keep tabs on each other all the time, you know, and I, you know, it's funny because I'm like, you know, not that I don't, you know, really care where people see that I'm at, but I'm sort of like, I'm skeptical. I'm like, people will send me an invite, hey, you know, so-and-so wants to track you, like, decline, you know, like, I'm like, you know, like, most, like, only a few people, you know, my mom asked me for a long time, she kept sending me requests, I'm like, all right, fine, you're my mother, you can, you can track me, um, but I've just got a few people on there, and, and I don't know if you use these apps or not, it is helpful, it does have a purpose, like, for example, if my kids are melting down at home, and I'm like, please tell me Jess is close, like, how much longer, like, where's she at, you know, like, I, I can do this, you know, or if, on the other hand, the house, we've totally wrecked the house while she's gone. Like, oh, she's turning on the road. Like, boys, we got to get it in gear. Like, get, to get this thing cleaned up, you know. Let's work together here. Or I can be like, oh, Jess is at Target. Put a temporary hold on my credit card. You know, th- this kind of stuff, right? Or she could be calling me a thousand times, hypothetically, and then look at my location. I'm actually at home, and she's like, she realizes I left my, my phone at home again, right? So, it's like, it's okay, right? And, uh... It's interesting, though, with these track. like, I mean, you literally could, like, track people everywhere today. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. My mom's actually, she, she'll, she'll track me. She'll be like, she'll send me a text and be like, hey, it looks like you guys are going towards Cincinnati Children's. Is everything okay? You know, it's like, you guys making another trip to the hospital? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, or, hey, I see you're homesick today. You need me to bring some soup? Like, this kind of stuff, you know? And, uh, and she's got her hands full because, like, all of, my siblings live in kind of different places, and so she's able to kind of keep tabs on them. And, and it's like, you know, she does this because she cares, so it doesn't really bother me at all. You know, because if she didn't care, she wouldn't really care what I'm up to, right? She wouldn't be checking in on me. And here David is, and he says this of God. He's like, I literally, not only can I, are you tracking me everywhere, Lord, but you're already there. Like, I can't even run from you because the place that I try to run to, you're already there. And that's a good thing. Even though it feels like a threatening thing, and even though we often try to run from God, we feel the need to run. If we would just stop running from God, stop hiding from God, what we would discover is that God doesn't want to curse you. He doesn't want to condemn you. He might want to convict you about some things, but ultimately God wants what's best for you. He wants to bless you. And if we would stop running and just turn around and run back into his open arms, we would see that God wants good for us. He doesn't want to harm us. 
And so some of you need today to stop running. Start resting in God. I love what Francis Thompson, uh, 19th century theologian, says and poet. He writes, he calls God the hound of heaven in one of his poems. I mean, imagine this like just imagery of just being, God's just this hound of heaven, right? He's going to chase me down. He's going to come after me, right? Why? Because he wants to pour out his love to me. So for some of you, you might just need to stop running today and start resting in God. For others, you long for his presence, but maybe in this season you can't feel it. You can't sense it. You're like, okay, what's going on, God? Like, are you, are you there? Because I, I, I know that because of the promise of Scripture, you're there. But, and what I'd say to you today is you can't depend on mere feelings. You can't just depend on your feelings. You've got to lean into the promise of Scripture that even in our darkest hour, God is there. There's nowhere that you could go that's beyond his reach. Even in our darkest hour, God is there. Many of you have seen the scenes of of what's been unfolding in Ukraine, and and we watch over here, and it's heavy, and it's don't know what to do with it, right? I mean, we carry these things, and we see these things. And what we see really unfolding is it's tough. It's heavy. It's tough to navigate. It's tough to understand. Yet at the same time, what we see is God moving nonetheless. It's why Ukrainian Christians facing the imminent threat of Russian invasion were not cowered in a corner. Instead, they were praising God days before the invasion. In a metro station in the, the capital, worship rung out. They sung this song translated as, let my prayer flow, essentially asking God, please send mercy to us. They sing songs of forgiveness, salvation, mercy, joy, and peace. They sing about this biblical light in the gloom of possible war. The president of the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary says, listen, historically, we had that experience before under the Soviet Union. So the church did not forget what it means to be persecuted. And I think that we will rearrange, reorganize, and still do what we always do. Preach the gospel. And so as war and really just everything sort of closes in around those in Ukraine, Ukrainian Christians are saying, we're going to keep doing what we've always done. That's preach the gospel, preach the good news of Jesus. Church leaders and seminary leaders in Ukraine echo that message saying, war won't deter their mission or service. Some Christian campuses receiving refugees into dorms while others are purchasing vans to help with evacuations. No matter how dark or difficult our days, our future is bright because of Christ. That is the reality that we live in as children of God. Paul reminds us in Romans, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. There is nowhere that you can go where you are outside of the reach of his love. There is nothing you can do to escape his presence. And so David talks about how God's presence is inescapable, and he demonstrates to us that God's purpose is incomparable. 
There is no purpose like the purpose that God offers, that God has for us, that God has given us. David says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Before any of my days, you knew them all. You and that's a relief when you think about it. And I love how David just kind of in the most non-arrogant way possible is kind of like, God, you did good with me. Like he's looking, you know, you did all right. You know, you knew what you were doing when you made me, right? He's not like, hey, look at me. But he's like, hey, look at what God has done in my life. Look at who God has made me to be. You knew what you were doing. And I think that in some way, this should be your self-talk in the mirror every morning. God thank you for how you made me. Even that little flaw or that little blemish or or whatever it might be, rather than running all over the place seeking validation from everybody around us, what if we just looked in the mirror and said, God, thank you. Thank you for how you made me. Listen, I don't need to chase validation from everyone else. You knew what you were doing when you made me. And I think we've got to get past the self-hatred and negative self-talk. Why? Because when we despise or devalue who we are, we insult the one who made us. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but we need to give God thanks for who he created us to be. Obviously continuing to seek after who, who, all that he wants us to become. But knowing that he made no mistakes when he made you. One of the most powerful things we can grasp is that each of us has an incomprehensible, inherent worth simply because of this. God made you. You have worth and purpose just because of that. Just because God himself knit you together in your mother's womb. Making you in the secret place. Intricately weaving you together. Knowing each one of your days. Knowing how many days you would have. It's a powerful thought. And when we finally settle into that reality that we are image bearers of God, that God himself formed us, we can finally lean into all that we were made to be. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie The Chariots of Fire. It's a classic movie, and it's about the 1924 Olympics and two of the prominent racers that were in the Olympics that year. One of them was from the UK. His name was Harold Abrahams, and one was from Scotland, and his name was Eric Liddell. Both were phenomenal athletes. Both were the best of the best around the world. And they were just, you know, they were representing their countries um, in the best way that they knew how. But what separated them was what their deepest passion truly was. You see, Eric Liddell, he was a committed Christian. His love for God was his ultimate passion. So much so that he refused to run an Olympic qualifier for the 100-meter run, which happened to be his best event, potentially giving up his chances to go to the Olympics because that event fell on a Sunday. And he said, you know what? I'm not doing it. It's on Sunday. I'm not doing it. My priority on Sunday is 
is worship. My priority on Sunday is to honor the Sabbath. I'm going to be there on Sunday. And he believed that that was a day of worship and rest. And he didn't care if he had to miss his chances for the Olympics. He wasn't going to run that event. And he didn't. Scott, the Scottish people were a little frustrated by that. Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, you're our best guy. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? She's like, tell you what, I, I'll run the 400 meter, which was not his best event. In fact, nobody thought he would qualify. He's like, he's not going to pull it off. He said, you know what? I'm, I'm trying to honor God in the way that I know how. If God wants to honor me in return in this way, then so be it. He runs the 400 meter run, breaks the world record, and just leaves everybody else in the dust. Incredible story. So Lydell, Eric Lydell, he ran for God. That's the reason that he ran. He said once, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Abraham's ran for a different reason. He ran for himself. He was obsessed with winning. He threw himself completely into the sport. Nothing else mattered to him. It was his overarching passion to run. I mean, that's what he did. It was all about running. That was his life. Running was life. And in one scene, Abraham said this, these words that were pretty revealing. This is from the movie. It says, and now in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes. I will look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Imagine the weight of that, right? Two different runners, two different purposes. One ran to justify his whole existence. The other ran already justified, already validated, and already complete in every single way. Tim Keller, in comparing the two runners depicted in the movie, states, Harold, Harold Abrams was weary even when he rested, and Eric Liddell was rested even when he was exerting himself. Why? Because there's a work underneath our work that we really need rest from. It's the work of self-justification. You see, Abraham seeks satisfaction and joy in the race, and it always eludes him. Lydell finds satisfaction in Christ and experiences his joy as he runs. Two artists paint a similar picture. One seeks joy in the painting and is never quenched. The other seeks joy in God and feels his pleasure as he paints. Two doctors perform surgery. One performs surgery because she loves the feeling of being needed. Another performs the surgery for the glory of God, and she senses God's pleasure as she operates. Two parents raise their kids. One seeks joy in her children, and she builds her life on their successes. If they misbehave, she's crushed as her identity takes a blow. Another parent finds her joy in God and offers her children to him. As she parents, she feels his pleasure. In Psalm 16, David writes about the joy that he has in God. He says, he says that he sets the Lord always before him. And even in the regular and mundane, we may sense his pleasure if we would set the Lord always before us. We can feel his pleasure when we fill in the blank. How do you fill in that blank? We can feel his pleasure when we wake up each morning. We can feel his pleasure when we go to work, when we make those phone calls, when we have conversations with customers, when we walk out onto that field, when we invest in our marriage, when we make music, when we make art, 
when we make breakfast for someone who may not appreciate it. In each of these things and more, we set the Lord always before us. And we run hard into whatever He has for you each day. Because if we run hard toward the Lord, if that is our ultimate pursuit, if we set the Lord always before us and we run toward Him, there will never be a day when we don't live with purpose. We know that each day, each moment is pregnant with purpose because our God is a purposeful God and He has breathed purpose into each and every one of us. And there's a freedom in knowing that you don't have to prove it. You don't have to prove your purpose. You don't have to prove your purpose. You were already created with it. So lean into it. Live it. You don't have to define your worth. You have already been declared worthy in God's sight. You don't have to justify your existence. The fact that God made you says you're already enough. So by all means, run and run hard. Run with all your heart. But don't do it for you. Set the Lord always before you. I'm going to take a moment here. I'm going to pray. And uh, before I do that, what I want to do is, um, actually, I'm going to pray. And then after that, what I want to do is we're going to play just a short clip of that worship that was taking place in a metro station um, and we want to just hear in just a little bit, we're going, to, we're going to sing out to the Lord too, knowing that we ultimately, when we live with purpose and when we, when we make our lives count, we join that chorus that's been going on since the beginning of creation that sings of God's glory and lives for God's glory. And so I just want to encourage you guys here, um, as you step out from here, whatever life brings, whatever your day brings, continue to set the Lord before you and live um, and lean into all that he has for you and just live that life that he's created for you. And in doing so, we get the opportunity to join that chorus. And so we're going to do that literally here in just a second as we worship. Uh, let's go to God in prayer, and then let's join the Ukrainian people in worship this morning. God, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you, God, for the promises of Scripture that remind us, God, that we are known fully and loved still that we, God, are, regardless of, of the moment or, or regardless of where life brings us, God, that you never leave us, that you are always with us. We thank you for that truth. And so we lean into that today, God, and we, we thank you for the purpose that you had when you created each and every one of us, God. Help us to live out that purpose. Help us to join the chorus of your people from the beginning of time, God, that wanted to just direct their lives and all that they were towards you. We pray today for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, those that are under immense pressure and the threat of persecution this morning, those who, like us, have young children that have been displaced from their homes, that feel the stress and fear of the unknown, of what tomorrow might bring. I pray for your comfort for them. I pray for your peace. God, I pray that good would overcome evil. I pray, God, that your justice would prevail. I pray that people would not be overcome by evil, but respond by doing good. And God, we thank you just so much, God, that in all seasons, in each and every day, God, that you go before us, that you are with us, God, and 
regardless of what we face, God, we know who you are and all that you've done for us. So we just trust in you this morning. We lean into you, God, and we join the chorus that really began at the beginning of time, God, and we want to live our lives in a way to lift your name high. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.